Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. A shift for us in recent times has been, um, even with your employment, Mike, was the whole idea of building a really effective strategic direction at Task Force. And with that came the establishment of the Youth Hub. And the Youth Hub is really about, um, to, to me anyway, the Youth Hub is the symbol of where we want to be as an organization. It's like a wraparound model uh, for youth as a start, but re- really we want to build a wraparound model in all our services across South, Southeast Melbourne. Those are the inspiring words of Ray Blessing, CEO of Task Force. A short bit of housekeeping and then we'll get back to Ray. And we're also joined today by Natalie Siegel, who is Chief Operating Officer at Task Force. As always, we open proceedings with a big thank you to our Patreon supporters, Judy, Jules, Sally, McCartan, Stuart, Joel, Misha Times 2, Bonnie, Olivia, Lyndon, Joe, B, and Will. Your support is much appreciated and helps us to keep posting up quality content each and every week. If you want to join our Patreon community and support the growth of Humans of Purpose, just hit the link in our show notes or head to patreon.com slash humansofpurpose. For just $4 per month, you can help us grow the podcast and ensure its sustainability well into the future. You also get some amazing exclusive merch on sign up, which is valued at about five months of your support. A quick reminder that our last official podcast for the year will air next week on 17th of December. I'll then be taking a well-earned break as my occasional co-host and wife Louise and I head overseas to Chile for some time hiking and just exploring nature. We'll return for our first episode of the year in 2020 on the 7th of January. There may be some bonus content during the break, so stay tuned. Another way you can support the podcast is to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. This will help others find out about the show, and uh, I also enjoy reading these and also reading them out when they come in, so please do that to put a smile on my face. Today, I'm taking a bit of a risk in catching up with my employers, those who butter my bread and captains of the ship at Task Force. I'll soon introduce you to the voices of CEO Ray Blessing and COO Nat Siegel. But first, how did I get introduced to Task Force? Well, I met Ray Blessing many years ago when I just launched my startup Purposeful and applied for some part-time work in strategy and impact at a small not-for-profit in Southeast Melbourne. I'll never forget that Ray called me personally and then drove out to the co-work space I was working at later that week to entice me across to Task Force. We had a long coffee and a great chat, and here we are many years later. It's been a roller coaster and an amazing learning journey, and I've progressed now into a full-time role here at Task Force as Head of Strategy. Since joining Task Force in 2017, the organisation has doubled in size, now employing around 100 passionate and capable staff members. It's now very much a significant part of the social services ecosystem in South East Melbourne and is a trusted partner to government in providing high quality services leading to positive client health outcomes. As you'll discover in this episode, Nat is very much yin to raise yang, giving balance and drive to all that we do at Task Force, and she's an inspiring leader in her own right. I hope you'll enjoy the conversation with Ray and Nat today as much as I enjoyed recording it. So I am chuffed to be here in which is a potentially very dangerous podcast for me with my two bosses and lovely friends, Ray Blessing, CEO of Task Force and uh, Nat Siegel, Chief Operating Officer at Task Force. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. So we've, we've had our teas. We're excited to be here. We're good to go. Yes. Absolutely. And Ray, you didn't trust my uh, hospitality enough to trust me to make you a coffee. You went uh, around the corner for coffee first. Well, I didn't want to turn up too early. <laughs> <laughs> As can be the case. Yes, I'm inclined to be early. 
So we have a lot to talk about today. I would love to start with a bit of a um, introduction into your stories and your journeys as to how you came to where we are today as sort of the leaders of task force community agency. So you'd like me to start? Yes, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I mean, I think for me, the journey started with my my early life because um I grew up in the west of Ireland, uh, you know, youngest of 10 children in an Irish family and uh, in a touched house, you know, uh, 10 kids and uh, struggling. And um, out of that, coming to Australia and uh, making a bit of progress along the way, um, then realizing that I could do something about um, the poverty that exists in our society. So when I look at... Um, you know, the, the, the way I grew up and then seeing that there was many people in Australia who were struggling as families. And uh, I've seen that through the unemployment space as well, where, you know, working um, in government with, um, uh, with the Commonwealth Employment Service and then Centrelink, seeing a lot of people who were struggling as families and individuals. And so then it was to get a task force and make um, seek to um, do something about bringing around to us a better society. That was so much quicker than what I anticipated for you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've skipped over a few things there. Uh, uh, so, but I, I can't give more depth to it. <laughs> so you arrive in Australia. What was your first job in Australia? So, so I arrived in Australia in 1973. And um, uh, I think like what happened was I arrived without uh, much thought and um, uh, was just basically find money to pay your way. So I remember, uh, you know, when I arrived in Australia, I arrived in Perth and I couldn't find a job in Perth. And then um, I got a bus across Australia to Melbourne and um, arrived in Melbourne on a very wet uh, Saturday afternoon and the football was on and, you know, I seen, I seen the football on television and Monday morning went looking for a job and um, the first job I went for was down in um, Port in Port Melbourne with uh, one of the car companies and, um, when I turned up for work the next, I got the job, turned up for work the next morning and they said to me, um, can we have your passport? And then they looked at me and said, oh, you're 18 years of age. And I said, yeah. And said, oh, well, you can't work here unless you're 21. So basically I had a job, but I'd lost a job day one. So then I walked down the road and uh, went from factory to factory and uh, ended up working at a place called, I think it was Air Oil Burner or something like that. They were making car radiators and uh, the, um, so we uh, Natra, it was called Natra. Ca- car, uh, car. So I worked there um, soldering car radiators for, oh, I think like about three or four months till I made enough money to um, find a better job. So that was the beginning of, this, of the journey. That's the beginning of the journey. And, and how long do you have to wait before you meet the lovely Nat Siegel and begin your uh, longstanding uh, corporate uh, relationship and journey together? Yeah, well, I think for me it was, um, you know, the, 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 once I got that job with um it, it started the money started flowing and I get and, and then it was like one job after another I basically kept trying to push to get a better job and then along the way I worked in different factories and um this is a bit of a this is a bit of a story now but like basically I worked in about 20 different jobs uh, driving taxis, uh, working up in Reddicastle and Irish Theatre Restaurant in South Melbourne. I worked in um, various car factories and I worked with the PMG, which was those days, which became Telstra later on, um, uh, as a telephone linesman. And then, um, have, having done all that, um, I um, worked in the public service for 19 years in the Commonwealth Employment Service in Centrelink. And then um, I uh, got... Uh, 
an opportunity to work with a company in Bendigo called CVGT, which is a group training company. They wanted a general manager. So I left the public service and joined them. And I'm working there, and uh, very, very quickly, I realized I needed help because I was struggling. And then I, somebody said to me, oh, this is person, you should, should meet Natalie Siegel. She's um, uh, would be very good for a task force, a task force, of course, of CVGT. And uh, so anyway, CVGT. So anyway, um, uh, Natalie and I met for a coffee in Sunbury, and she came to work at uh, CVGT. And, you know, life's never been the same since. Is that how you remember it, Nat? Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember we had that coffee in Sunbury and then I began working at CBGT uh, as the manager of the of the Melbourne sites. And, um, yeah, then we sort of parted ways at CBGT. I went off and had my family and then I gave Ray a call. Oh, gosh, it was probably another 10 years later just to say, hi, how are things going? I'm looking to get back into the workforce. And he said, well, Let's see what we can do here at Task Force. And I guess, yeah, from there, the rest is history. So we've been working together uh, for another eight and a half years at Task Force, yeah. And what was it about the relationships? Often with, you know, manager, they say is the most important person or that person you work very closely with can be the most important factor of whether you're enjoying your work or whether you're happy at work. Did you always just have a um, a good working relationship from the get-go? Yeah, I think our relationship's always been based on honesty and trust um, and you know, I guess Ray has always provided me with the autonomy to be able to do what I need to do to get my job done, but has been a, a great support and a great mentor as well. So, you know, in terms of my leadership style and uh, the way I work with people, he's been able to guide me and provide me with advice and support along the way. So, yeah, it's, how, it's been um, a great partnership. How important is it to have difference in leadership style? Because we talk a lot about that at work mm-hmm. and um, I think, you know, you don't have to be um, – a detective genius to see that you and Ray have very different styles. Mm. And I think the, the way it works together is really a great thing. Is that an important thing for leadership teams? I think so. I mean, yeah, Ray and I are very different people. Our backgrounds are very different, but the way we come together and, and complement each other, I think that's sort of what makes it a success. Um, those that know me know that I'm very meticulous and organised and um, – my husband would probably say a little bit of a control freak. Um, and, you know, Ray's strengths, are, he's more of an extrovert. Um, you know, he's, he's fantastic at getting out there and doing the networking and, and, you know, talking to who needs to be spoken to and bringing in the business in that sense. And we've always worked in the sense that I'll do sort of mainly the behind the scenes kind of work and Ray's, you know, out there doing what he does best, being, you know, the face of, of Task Force or back then CVGT. And let's be honest, you would have loved me to just uh, get him out here and have a one-on-one rather than uh, necessarily being in the spotlight. Absolutely. <laughs> but now that you're here, not, not too bad. The tea's yeah, okay. Yeah, tea's okay. <laughs> well, you didn't have peppermint tea, so I've had to put lemon in the hot water, but uh, it's okay. I didn't meet either of your beverage preferences, but You'll I feel be like forgiven. in other ways we're getting along quite well. Yeah, it's all good. Um, <laughs> one thing I have noticed is that you guys know each other extremely well in terms of your personalities and strengths and weaknesses, and I think... I mean, like Ray, I'd love if you could sort of speak to how important that is in, you know, building good teams and strong work partnerships. I, I mean, uh, I'm not sure there's any weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, are you having a go at me? <laughs> no, no, I'm saying – I think you know what I mean. No, you know, no I know exactly people. what you mean. I think like, um, uh, you know, I think 
anybody who's been a long-term in management or in in a role knows that you've got areas where you're really strong in and there's areas where you um, need support. And um, I think like um, what's needed for a CEO um, in terms of roles is that you need to have um, whatever your strengths, because CEOs can have different strengths, but it's really important to have uh, complementary people around. And uh, I know that like Natalie's organizational skills are far superior to mine. And, you know, because I'm more onto the relationship side, um, working, I think like one of the key things in working like at a place like task force is the CEO role. Um, part of it is like working really strongly with the board. Um, part of it also is working really, um, uh, with the funders. <clears throat> and part of it also is, um, being, really like the leader of the executive team and working more generally building a strong relationship with staff. So, <clears throat> so when it comes to like, um, uh, my role as CEO is that like, well, um, it's great to have somebody, um, nearby who's saying, Ray, by the way, you need to follow up on that or whatever. So I think like with, um, with Natalie, um, as a chief operating officer, I think what it means is that we cover all bases so that, um, you know, Natalie's, um, because she's more into the detail is able to make people aware. For example, preparing for a board meeting is, is quite a challenge. Mm. And so I think like Natalie's, um, since, day one at task force has been really strong on building the uh, support for the board and the communication with the board. So we work in partnership on that. So that, that works really well for us. Yeah. It's beautiful. Well said, Ray. And I'd like to hear a bit about um, sort of what you see as let's talk a bit. We haven't talked much about task force. So let's yeah. talk about what task force does more or less. We do a huge number of things and probably, yeah. you know, in, in a couple of key areas, but then also a look at, you know, um, a bit about, why we exist in our sort of mission and purpose. Yeah, you'd like me to... Yeah, respond? sure, either yeah. go ahead. Yeah, um, I think like uh, when, I, when I think about task force, I think you can't start without starting at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think like um, when Bill Manelik, um established task force in 1973, he, he noticed around Peran in those days that there was an issue with heroin use. And um, out of that come like the... Because at that point, there wasn't many drug and alcohol services in Melbourne. So task force is one of the first of really the significant community-based services. And Bill established that because he could see that there was a need to help people who particularly um, their lives have fallen apart, were getting into trouble with the law. And he, um, at that point, um, engaged um, uh, a, a, a guy from the um, Department of Health and Human Services who come to task force to build up this um connection with the drug and alcohol services to make sure that we had an effective service to work with people, particularly the heroin users in Peran. And as as Bill started working on that, he started realizing that it wasn't just about drug and alcohol services. It was also about like these people were unemployed, they had housing issues, mental health issues. So it was like almost from the early days, task force got involved in more, uh, you might say even then, even though it wasn't tagged as such as a right kind of a wraparound model, it was trying to help people with training, help people with housing, help people with uh, counseling. And um, over time, um, you know, through the iterations since 1973, task force 
at different stages um uh try different methods to support the people so um you know as you know now today task force is very focused on a wraparound service model where we're seeking to um, in southeast melbourne to provide a really effective um support in terms of counseling but also in terms of uh, linking people with housing providers like um and also with um, mental health providers and i think the, the key shift for us in recent times has been um even with your employment mike was the whole idea of building a really effective strategic direction at task force mm. and with that came the establishment of the youth hub and the youth hub is really about um to, to me anyway the youth hub is the symbol of where we want to be as an organization it's like a wraparound model uh, for youth as a start, but really we want to build a wraparound model in all our services across Southeast Melbourne. So first stop was the Moorabbin Youth Hub, and that's now in place for over a year, and it's a spectacular success. And it's all based around um, wraparound model, but with an evidence base. And I think the evidence base that you're building um, for us um, in partnership with places like um, Monash University and La Trobe University, and turning point that all the all those uh, connections you're building for us is helping us to build an evidence-based wraparound model that's well said right and nat what do you think when um obviously task force have been doing the education um transition to work and also the drug and alcohol counseling for a long time but the idea to have a wraparound youth hub kind of model a new youth hub right near our headquarters in south road how did that kind of sound at the first reaction oh look for me i think I mean, I was so excited by it. You know, people always have said to me, oh, what does Task Force do? And it's really hard to describe what an organisation does. It's been around for 47 years um, that has over 45 different types of programs. So to be able to say we're going to, you know, we're going to um, implement this youth hub where we're going to provide um, drug and alcohol counselling and support to young people and at the same time we're going to be able to move these people through into education and then into hopefully employment and then allow these young people to have the best possible outcome that they can be um, was just so exciting for me. And I think to see it come to fruition and to hear the stories of the young people that come through our doors, I mean, we're seeing over 400 young people a month come through the doors of, of the Youth Hub. It, you know, I think it's the realisation that we can make that happen mm. and we can make a difference to those individuals, the impact is huge. Um, and, you know, the dream, I guess, for Task Force is that we can continue to do that and we can, you know, we can open up another youth hub or another hub in general further down in the southeast. Um, so just describe it a little bit because I think youth hub sounds really exciting and I think mm. anyone who's walked through there would get it inherently. But yeah. um, pretend that we're sort of okay. going on a virtual yep. tour of Absolutely. the hub. What, ha what goes on in the hub and what's its kind of goal? Sure. I guess when we were looking at designing the hub, you know, we had to think a lot about it. We wanted to work out what young people actually wanted from the hub as well. So we did some consultation with, you know, with young people. Um, we drove around to have a look at different hubs and see what, what was around. And then we engaged with our builders and we wanted to make it a young, funky, fun, friendly, safe environment for people to come to. Um, so it's bright, it's airy, it's um, it's got, you know, a lot of communal spaces mm. as well. So it's got a huge kitchen. Um, it's got a great open space at the front. We've it looks got... like every cool co-work space, I would say. Yeah, sort absolutely. Sort of like nice uh, yeah. white painted exposed brick but with a nice, you know, clean um, minimal designs. Absolutely, with the concrete floors. Yep. 
Um, nice coffee machine. Beautiful coffee machine that was kindly donated. Um, and it's just, it, it feels safe. You know, we've got our table tennis table, we've got the basketball ring, we've got the bean bags, we've got iPads all over the place as well. You know, the kitchen, we didn't want to have a separate kitchen for the staff and for the clients, you know, it's communal so that people can come together and have a conversation because, you know, the best conversations are had over a meal or over, you know, a, a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And we wanted that feel to continue. We wanted to enable young people to, to have that opportunity. So we have a stocked pantry always and, and a bowl of fruit out for people. Um, and then, of course, there's the coffee machine, as you said, and for people to gather around that coffee machine um, and to learn to make coffee so that they're actually engaging and, and learning a skill at the same time but also having that conversation and having a sense of belonging. You know, I think that it, it speaks volumes, really. I, I guess there's one story that sticks out to, in, in my mind. Um, there was a 14-year-old that came in and started coming in regularly because we have drop-in at the Youth Hub there every day from 9 till 5. Um, and this, yeah, this 14-year-old came in and we hadn't seen him before came in, he was hanging out after school and one of the staff started to engage with him and said, what are you here for? Do you want something to eat? And he's had a bit of a meal and he was doing his homework. And we're like, what, what's your story? He said, look, I'm at school, but I've come here after school to do my homework because if I wasn't doing my homework here, I'd be out on the street and I'd be using. And I think for me personally, that's a really, you know, it's one of those sliding door moments mm. where if we didn't have that youth hub and task force wasn't able to provide those services, where would he be? Would he still be with us yeah. today? We don't know. They're, they're sort of immeasurable outcomes. And we often talk about sort of the challenge of measuring some of this stuff because they're yeah. like little um, sliding door moments mm. that change lives for the better. Absolutely. And I think, Ray, you, you often talk about how many lives have we saved or mm. prevented people from going down that sort of um, terrible landslide um, to destruction because we're dealing with such complex clients a lot of the time and um, young people who <coughs> really have nowhere else to go often. Yeah, I, I think that one of the people often said to me, um, how effective are you? And I say, well, one of the things you can't measure is the lives you save. Mm. You know, you, you, you get the examples of people who jump in front of trains or, or, or um, overdose or whatever and, and, and lose their life. But it's um, you can't measure the people who didn't overdose, didn't jump in front of a train, who because of coming to task force um, and having a, uh, a really good relationship with one of the staff, their life was saved. Mm. And you think like, um, uh, you know, so many lives are lost every year through um, substance misuse, um, whether it's even like um, people driving cars when they're using. So for me, I think that's one of the great things is um, having services like Task Force. We know we're saving lives. We just don't know how many we're saving. So that's very important um, for us to <clears throat> keep building the wraparound model and, and try to, to be... Um, so effective that um, over time there'll be a significant reduction in lives lost to uh, substance misuse. So the, the hub and the wraparound, if we talk a bit about that and why that's an interesting model, to me I always think about it sometimes as a bit of a web, like, you know, that the person enters the web or the, that safe web space and they've got access to all the services they might need or, or um, maybe not even think about needing um, once they're in there for one particular service. So maybe they enter as a drop-in or they enter for some training or barista or something else, but then maybe they start a relationship with a counsellor who can really help them and change mm -hmm. their life for the better. Yeah. And I think for me, like, I think one of the things that people, um, you know, most people have um, 
fairly stable lives. You know, you think about 80% of people inside, they've got a job, they've got a family to, to live with, they've got um, safe accommodation. But for that, for that 20 or so percent in our society um, to have um, hope, you know, how do you, how do you build hope mm. in people who um, the, the, the parents aren't, aren't loving them, they're, um, they're sleeping from house to house um, or sleeping on the streets, um, they're getting abused or misused, um, they're um, in and out of prison, um, they're in and out of police stations. So for me, I think like where you can provide, um, you know, effective wraparound services for people and you can provide genuine support and care. I mean, I, I think like so many people... Um, in our society, particularly, and it's all ages. Like, you know, even though we talked about the youth hub, the reality is, um, you know, we see people coming into the front of our office and they just want a coffee. Mm. And they could be 60 years of age, 65 yeah. years of age, or they could be, and they can be 15. So to me, it's like, it's all ages and um, it's across all economic groups. Well, one thing I think is different about Task Force, or maybe something that's central or always has been central to our service. We've always been client-centered, but I think the quality of people and counsellors who have been able to form strong positive relationships with the clients has really sort of set us apart in a way you can see that life change isn't just about programs and services it's it's about the people delivering them absolutely we're so fortunate to have gosh we've got nearly 100 staff now and they're incredible people you know we, we talk about that that I feel like they literally do save people's lives every day, although it's hard to measure it. Um, the dedication and you know the support that they provide our, our clients with, they they do go above and beyond. Um, and it's just for a lot of them, it's just innate. It's just what it's what they do. Um, and they're incredible people, and we're fortunate to have them yeah. working at Task Force. And also, I think um, when it comes to Task Force, it's important to realise that. Um, over the 47 years that we've been around, I think the big thing for me is that the, the fact is we've had a very strong board. And, and I think like when you've got a board that um, ensures financial stability and the organization is financially strong, it means you're not always worried about the next dollar. So for us, it's been about like being able to invest in good governance. Mm-hmm. It's been able to um, have staff well-trained and it's been able to be flexible with um, uh, a client. For example, if a client, a task force, um, is struggling with housing, we can, we've usually got some spare money to say, okay, let, let's pay his rent for three months. So I think like for me, it's that it's been able to do more than just a, a government contract says you mm-hmm. do. It's been able to do the add-ons to make sure that the person feels not only that you um, are providing an effective counseling service or a support service or whatever, but also you're able to provide some wraparound support mm-hmm. that'll make a difference to their life and make mm-hmm. them feel more valued and hopefully safer. And I think, you know, one interesting thing you mentioned there is financial stability yeah. being important and not for profits. And it's such a squeezed space. Yeah. We we sort of heard um, earlier in the week about White Ribbon and the difficulties they've been yeah. having and just sort of some, some things popped out to me that, you know, such a strong board with great financial acumen yeah. and the wisdom to invest in the right places to keep us being able to deliver more services each year yeah. being yeah. sort of critical. Yeah, and I think that like having people on the board who have got significant corporate experience and, uh, you know, <clears throat> To me, um, we're not in the business to make money, but the key thing for um, our board is that they have to be confident um, every month and every year when we do our reports that task force is sustainable and that it's there for the long term. And so for us, we don't have to worry about tomorrow. Um, We just got to make sure that 
we as we grow, we manage things really safely and well so that um, as um, funders, if they give us money, they know it'll be spent on the program, not um, on paying debts because we don't have any debt as an organization. And so for us, that's a really important point that we've got <clears throat> our properties in relation to where we operate and we um, don't have the debts. So it means that um, anybody giving funding to task force knows that it can go directly to the program. And we're not trying to um, uh, survive. We're actually a well-run well business. Yeah. I think the other thing, sorry, Mike, no, it, that is really crucial to task force's success is that we realise where our strengths are and we realise mm. what our limitations are. And we work a lot in collaboration with other organisations. So we work a lot in consortium arrangements and, that allows us to bring in other services to support our clients. Like at the Youth Hub, you know, we've got other organisations that co-locate with us. So we realise that we're not experts in housing. We realise that we're not experts in, in, in law. But when we can bring in other organisations to support us and therefore support our clients, I think that enables us to continue to be successful and, again, provide great outcomes for our clients. So maybe just for example's sake, who's in the Youth Hub now that we're partnering with and um, how is that all going? Uh, we've got Launch Housing APM, which is a disability employment mm-hmm. service, um, St Kilda Legal, and Thorn Harbour. Thorn Harbour Health, yeah, yes, Family Life and Family, family Life. life. <coughs> yeah, yep. so a number yeah. of services there, sort of doing complementary types of things that enable yeah. us to be more wraparound or to you know help more people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It also means that clients haven't got to go to five different places. I think the biggest thing about wraparound service is that. Um, you know, a lot of our clients haven't got a car, they struggle with public transport. So when they come to task force, we can generally say, well, we help you with this, but go to that person over there that does, they can help you with housing or they can help you with other supports. So to me, it's like, rather than having to go into, I think one of the, you know, when we talk about the future of our sector, one of the, the frustrations for many people is they're going to five different places to get help. When in actual fact, um, if you come to the hub, um, you can go to one place. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know that it's relevant, but also, you know, we have got a small hub in Cockatoo. Mm. And uh, people say, well, why have you got a hub in Cockatoo? And that, to me... Um, Where is Cockatoo, by Cock- the way? Cockatoo is in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, that part, it, I guess. It's after Danny Nongs. Um, yeah. I, I suppose that's the best area yeah, to describe near, near, near Emerald. Near Emerald. So uh, for us, um, when we... Um, because we operate in Cardinia and Casey and Dandenong and Frankston and Mornington Peninsula, one of the things was the people in Cockatoo were looking for somebody to um, to lead the neighbourhood house. So we took that on. And you might say, why did you go to Cockatoo? Well, to us, it was like, we can provide a wraparound service in Cockatoo. And it's like, um, it's a smaller community. But to me, I think that's the great thing about task forces. We can take on projects. Um, <coughs> that, you know, if, if a, a government department like Department of Health and Human Services says, well, we'd love to have somebody um, run a service in Cockatoo, and it was a tendering opportunity, task force is happy to do it. And we can put it in the ground within weeks. You know, we, we're very, very efficient at putting things in place quickly. And, um, you know, I think um, so far in Cockatoo, is it a thousand people have come through, Natalie? Through la- in last term, yeah, we had a thousand people walk mm, through the doors, yeah. which you is know, amazing considering which, it was a closed service. Yeah. And that shows, like, um, <clears throat> even though it's a smaller community, mm. there obviously is incredible need there. Yep. And uh, the great thing is we've been able to respond to that. So, And, that, and that, that's largely based around education and support. Um, but to me, that's what Task Force does. Mm. And so they're sort of at the perimeter of the southeast as well, which is in your corridor of focus, which, yeah. would, which would make sense. 
It, I mean, the, uh, as part of our strategic direction where we had our plan um, developed uh, by yourself, Mike, with Social Ventures a couple of years ago, um, we did, uh, rather than trying to focus on doing everything for everybody, we just said, let's build a really effective wraparound model in Southeast Melbourne. Yep. And so at the moment, that's where our focus is. And we're tra- seeking to step-by-step step, look at opportunities need in that area and where we can we provide the wraparound service and cockatoo is one of those as is cranburn pakenham uh, daninong or um hastings or uh, frankston and of course all around the Bayside. yeah right i've got and that i've got two questions the first one is what are you seeing as sort of key trends or issues in the not-for-profit sector when you look at what task force is facing but other also other not-for-profits and community organizations. So maybe we'll start with that one uh, and then I'll get to the next one after that. Okay. Well, I'd say um, the, um, you know, there's, there's many points of view about the key trends, but I'd say that um, one of the key factors is that we, people don't want to be going to multiple places for services, that they're trying to come to hubs. And I think like the establishment of hubs of one type or the other, where rather than people having to go into five different places for one service to go to one, that definitely is um, a trend. And I think it's not not just a trend. I think it's a reality that um, in, the, in this day and age, people think, well, why can't providers get together and provide a service at one location rather than us having to go to five different places? In actual fact, our need because what, <coughs> what they need is housing, drug and alcohol support, mental health services, um, whether it's transport, whether it's uh, getting a job. You know, the fact that we we do that, that a lot of that stuff now at the youth hub is that, that that to me is definitely one trend. And the other thing is, I think that <coughs> partnership. I think partnerships with organisations. So because because um, you know it's, it's, sometimes um, you may say um, there's a trend towards bigger. You know, like this, um, let's take over other organizations, let's keep taking over and suddenly get really big. What I find with the, with the really large organizations is that they actually um, lose the touch, lose the personal touch. And often, like we'll say, if you want to implement a new program, you go to a very large organization with the bureaucracy, it can take four times as long as it would if you come to a task force. So I think there's a size, there's a size issue where I, I mean, and I realize that there is a bit of a conflict about that. Um, do we need really huge organizations, which may sound efficient to government, but if, if you go back to the community and what they want, they want to be able to go to a place and get service today. Yes. So I think that's probably a couple of the key points. That's, there. A, that's a really good. So you've yeah. got size and, you know, service delivery and yeah. you've got uh, also hub models and really yeah. interesting in accessibility. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is there anything you're seeing? I think it's sort of more of a challenge in terms of mm-hmm. workforce yeah. um, whereby, you know, trying to find staff that are that are qualified and, and, and enough staff to service the community sector, there's, there's a real shortage out there and, and it's how we come together as a, as a sector and, and as community organisation to um, develop and enhance, you know, the general workforce. So we don't have enough community service workers to do what we want to do? That there is definitely a shortage, yeah. Interesting. And so um, so let's – so what, how are we addressing that is maybe a, a question. Well, you know, we're addressing it through – we're fortunate to be part of a pilot, the Community Traineeship Pilot Program funded through VCOS via the Department of um, – uh, jobs and Precinct through Victoria Government, whereby we're assisting um, about 75 trainees move into the community sector, um, participating in certificate, 
three in community services. We won't quote you on yeah, that. Yeah, no, community, uh, certificate three or certificate four, sorry. Um, four. Certificate four, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and that's an opportunity for young people to enter into the community sector to, to complete a traineeship but also have the support of a youth worker mm. um, and that youth worker can work alongside of them to support them with any of their personal issues that they may be going through. You know, so many people are encountering you know, or, or have mental health issues as well. Um, so having a youth worker working alongside of them to support them through their traineeship with, the, you know, getting used to being at work and, and assisting them whilst they're actually co- completing their studies um, is just, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity for a young person and also enhancing the workforce within the community sector mm. too. And so what, maybe if we take the flip side of that, what mm. do you think some of the great opportunities are for um, not-for-profits or for task force in particular to um, sort of, you know, to maybe innovate and be a dynamic organisation? Jeez, no one wants to answer that no, one. No, no, that was no. a rough one. I need a couple of minutes to think about that one. I think task force... Um, you know, um, our, our um, <clears throat> success over 40 plus years has been because we do innovate. Mm-hmm. And I think like along the lines of like <clears throat> from the from the time that I've been at Task Force, it's even like just um, having a go at new programs. And so <clears throat> I said seeing like what the need is, for example, we started a program called Money for Jam. Now it was like an it was an it was a, an innovative way to say right, okay, let, let's get people making jam and see if we can sell it. So we we done this project uh, back a few years ago. It wasn't a great success, and this is what happens with innovation. I think like sometimes people think, oh, innovate means you're going to be really successful. Yeah. Innovate means uh, trying new approaches, and out of that come like a, a really um, a task force we didn't end up making much jam because we wasn't wasn't that successful mm. but then through that we built a more effective wraparound model through the art programs and so we do a lot of um uh, uh, art therapy um various art um programs and we would bring people together so i think it's about like um experimenting one of the things about being a, a charity and being um viable is that you can say well let's let's try this and and let's let's try and uh, new upper, new ways of doing things that um, and, and seeing how it works, and then sometimes you do it on your own. Sometimes you do it in partnership. We we work very in a great partnership with the Department of Justice in a lot of our um, our programs, and the, the Department of Justice has different at different stages has provided some funding for us to trial different cooking programs, art programs that actually um, uh, bring people together, and especially people who are like having. Um, Issues with the law, where they're actually, um, the, you know, the the the, um, uh, the the as part the corrections have to find programs for those people to do as part of their um, requirement in in the courts. So having a partnership, a task force, so I can say, look, could you run a program that's different? Because sometimes, like for example, for um, mothers or, or young children, it can be a problem where they um, are, um, uh, you know, have trouble getting um, access to um, support. So they end up struggling to attend. So <clears throat> by having a, a cooking program, a task force, where we can provide some support, but also make it flexible hours, but also they may be cooking a meal and they're getting a meal at the same time as, as part of their development. So I think like for me, it's, it's continuing innovation. And then at the higher level, then it's about innovation where you're looking at um, education programs. And for example, one of the things that Task Force does, and I, I don't know how many people are aware of this, is the behavior change program, which is for people who lose the licenses uh, through drink driving. Now, <coughs> 
the um, the department last year, uh, Department of Health and Human Services handed over that contract um, to Vic Rhodes. Vic Rhodes, and and and, and with um, Vic Rhodes a whole lot of new requirements and task force being a smaller organization was very quickly able to adapt and now we're one of the leading providers of that program but basically when people lose their licenses um particularly for families i mean it's like a really challenging thing to get your license back now you've got to like um pay a fee um for the training you've got to pay a fee for the license you you have to um get a, 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 a equipment fitted to your car it, it's, it's a very expensive process so having a place like task force that's willing to work with Vic Rhodes in a partnership model to say how do we put this in place make it as efficient as possible um really is working really well and you know we're we're working with uh, over a thousand people in that um return uh, in that, in that mm. progress at the moment so you can imagine um the amount of organization and work um and innovation that requires um Ray, I want to ask you, Nat shared a story, and I've got a story I want to share about Task Force as well. Do you have a story that sort of stands out from you? Yeah, I'm sure you have thousands, but is there one in particular you want to tell that sort of made you sort of think, this is why I'm here? <coughs> there are so many stories at Task Force that um, now when I, when I think about um, my time there and I think about, um, you know, people who um, walk in the door and, you know, whether it's like um, a client who walks in the door and you think, is this person going to be able to make it through the night? And I think like for me, I see, um, you know, I suppose uh, the program that to me has most impacted me through the time of task force is the Breaking the Barriers program. And that's where we work with um mothers and babies well mothers we work with the mothers but these are women with uh, babies these are mothers who um for one reason or the other through their substance use for those alcohol drugs or whatever substance um are losing custody of their children and you know um, i'm not going to give you a specific example but i'm going to say to you that what really excites me is each year we have a Christmas party for those mothers and babies. And as each year you see the mothers come in and you see, you know, a woman that like two years ago was on the fringe of going to jail is suddenly back with her baby and she's bringing her child in to that Christmas party. And we have all those toys and, and, um, and cakes and stuff that they have at those parties. So to me, it's like seeing how people with um, really strong support, how they turn their lives around so that from one time on the fringe of going to jail long term to suddenly um, through support, getting back um, on track and suddenly getting access, getting their baby back again, um, having control of that baby, and then also um, uh, getting safe housing, um, all that been happening. To me, it's like, it's just like, uh, uh, to, to, to single out one of them would be um, unfair because it's, it's like, I think in that program, it's certainly over um, a couple of hundred people a year we're working with. So for me, it's like, it's just one after the other where we have, um, to me, save the lives of babies, save the lives of women, and where, um, you know, like, and, and, and to, to, to evidence that, you know, like when, when I started a task force uh, eight or nine years ago, <clears throat> we were working with 30 or 40 mums. Now it's hundreds, and it's basically the funders see the program operating so well, they're willing to put extra funding into it. And we, you know, the Christmas parties are bigger every year, and, and to me it's like, 
uh, just it's an ongoing story of success. It's like one after the other where you see, um, you know, a mother feeling so much more secure because of that partnership with Task Force and support from Task Force. It's not just the the mums and the babies yeah. that are impacted. Yeah. It's the wider community. Yeah. But he's, because if you keep that mother out of, you know, the justice system and if you can keep that baby with their parents, then, you know, the, the flow-on effect from that to the wider community is quite enormous. Mm, significant. Mm. But the story that I always like to tell was when I first started here and Task Force has an all-staff day, used to twice a year and mm. moving out at once, and yeah. um, we this incredible young man, and often we'd, we would do this at Task Force or staff days, would come up to the stage and sort of, share their story about yeah. being a client at Task Force and what that had meant to them. So on this day, this gentleman had come up to the stage to speak and he must have been 23 or 24, maybe 25, and had a checkered history of uh, heroin abuse and you know, multi-substance abuse and um, had just had his first child uh, and at risk of having that child taken away and um, a second child on the way and unstable family life and psychosis, a range of issues. Anyway, um through the counselling support of Jade, who's one of our top counsellors, mm-hmm. uh, that's not a real name, or is it? No, uh, you know, well, it is. It uh, is. Anyway, uh, <laughs> she did a tremendous job. Uh, let's just call her Jay. Yeah. Uh, Jay did a tremendous job with this uh, person, and after a few years of support and counselling, he had gone full circle and actually had become a drug and alcohol counsellor mm-hmm. himself, and now has a you know a healthy family life. Um, <clears throat> is with his partner and kids and is able to give back and help many people with some of the things he was struggling with. So for me, that's just such a heartwarming story of um, not only trials and tribulations, um, but going to a place that can help you, give you that support and that relationship, but then help you become what you really could be. Oh, absolutely. It's I kind mean, of spine-tingling stuff, isn't it? It really it, it is. It, it gives me goosebumps. I mean, there's so many stories like that. Uh, you know, we've even got, I was mentioning that the community traineeship program before, through that program, we've actually got an incredible worker that's now, um, she came through as a trainee and now she's working within our Reset Life program, um, supporting other young vulnerable people that are experiencing, you know, um, substance abuse issues and, and mental health and, and, and a variety of other things. And there's just, you know, there's stories of of Tamara like that, of the guy that you mentioned, there's countless numbers of stories and and you know to be part of an organization that's been operating for 47 years that has every day another story to tell of another successful outcome it's you know it definitely um you know it, it brings tingles absolutely yeah on the other side though you can't save every life and we do have some you know stories where unfortunately now and then we do lose a client um and the impact on that is you know, is, is going to be huge, but we have to look at the successes and we have to keep moving forward and um, look at every opportunity and look at the innovation opportunities as well because every time we try something different and, and innovative, we might be able to reach out to somebody else that we haven't been able to to touch or to reach through our existing programs. That's beautiful. And so I think um, we've re- reached a really good point where we've covered a lot of uh, ground. How can people become more involved with task force if they'd like to do so? And maybe you want to just say the website and, you know, social and whatnot. Yeah, sure. So task force is www.taskforce.org.au. Um, and if you would like to support, there's you're always welcome to volunteer or make a donation or a bequest. Um, and we've also just recently launched our sponsorship packages as well. So you're welcome to get in touch with us, um, 
to, to discuss that. There's lots of ways that you are able to support Task Force going forward. Yeah. Awesome, right? That's great. So now I, I, um, I think like uh, organizations like Task Force are um, – our strength is that, yes, we get a lot of government funding, but the other thing is having community support and support from individuals like who um, support task forces just um, uh, makes enormous difference to what we can do. It's, a, it's the extras you can do. It's providing that safe a bed for the night or providing a safe uh, paying somebody's rent or um, providing an extra course of training for somebody because somebody made a donation to task force. That's terrific. Well, thank you both so much for joining me. How can people get in touch if they want to learn more? Should they email or just prefer they get in touch by the website? They're welcome to email me. Uh, yep. So it's Natalie S, N-A-T-A-L-I-E-S for Sam at taskforce.org.au. Or, or Ray B, R-A-Y-B at taskforce.org.au. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me, uh, colleagues. <laughs> thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank awesome. you. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word-of-mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.